praise you, Lord. We worship you this morning. Thank you, Jesus.
Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. The sin was great, your love was great.
Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for your power to save, to protect, to redeem, to heal, your power to sanctify, to make holy those things that desperately need sanctification and holiness. Thank you that you've got the power to work in our lives in profound and wonderful ways. Thank you, God, that you've got the power to teach us, to instruct us. God, the, the power to live within us and live through us, Lord God. We invite your power in Jesus' name. We invite you to do profound and wonderful things today, God. God, we invite you to surprise us by your power, to surprise us by your presence, Lord God, that we'd be overwhelmed in Jesus' name by your goodness and grace. God, that we would be touched like we've maybe never been touched before or maybe like we haven't been touched in a long time. God, that we'd be touched by your spirit, by your word, by your power, Lord God, that we would be transformed by your grace and power in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to know that there's power in your name, Jesus. There's real, real power in the name of Jesus. Lord, uh, God, I pray for our endurance today, Lord, that we would stand firm and stand strong in Jesus' name. God, where we're tempted to give up or throw in the towel or be frustrated or be anxious, I pray in Jesus' name that we would grab hold grab hold of you, grab hold of your truth, that we would determine by your grace to stand strong as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, that we would take this love and this message of the gospel to our friends and family, to our community, and that wonderful and profound things would happen as a result. God, we invite you to work in this community, Jesus. We invite you to work among your people. God, to bring revival to this community, to point people to you in Jesus' name. God, work through us to accomplish those things, we pray. Be glorified, we ask, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. So, speaking about the power, look at this girl lifting. This is a heavy, heavy pulpit, and Amanda just picks it up. Like, I can barely move it. But she just grabs it like the stud that she is. And uh, she's getting married in six days. Where, where did she go? There's here. Yeah, go ahead and stand up. Go ahead, both of you guys stand up. Stephen and Amanda. Stephen, you too. Getting married. Woo! They've, uh, they've only known each other for about two weeks or so, but they are so excited to get married and move forward. It's going to be really, really good. No, I'm just kidding. But they, the truth is they, on their wedding day on February 19th, is the one-year anniversary of them actually meeting for the first time. So they just kind of knew, you know, you know when you know and you just go and that's what they're doing. They know and they're going. So congratulations, you guys. And, uh, you know, speaking about the power of God before we get into Hebrews chapter 10 today, I got this email from this prayer ministry, and they were sending it out, just kind of an email blast to, I guess, Christians everywhere. And it was an encouragement to pray because there are these Satanist gatherings springing up all over the country. And there's one happening in Arizona, there's in Washington State, and they're just beginning to spring up all over the place. And what has happened is that when Christians have prayed, it's essentially nullified a lot of what they've 
what they're attempting to do by gathering. They, they host these, un, it's, it's like an unholy night where they bring people in and the, it's just this dark, demonic um, night of activity. I'll let you imagine what that's all about. And it's just, it's, it's darkness and people show up to these meetings because they're intrigued, they hear about it. And so it's like a little hook, so they show up and then they're just overwhelmed by the demonic activity and they're, it's, so, so we've been challenged to just pray for, our, for that, against that, and pray for against just this demonic activity in our world, but also to pray and press in for our communities and uh, our civic leaders and that sort of thing. So I was doing that on Wednesday, and um, I was just really, really pressing in. Oh, it was Thursday, I'm sorry. I was really pressing in, just praying like crazy, and, and um, I, I just feel like it's effective for us to just get like an assignment like that and pray. Like we need to pray over our homes. We need to pray over our businesses, over our church. And I've walked every building in this facility from front to back and I've anointed every door and prayed over every building over the years over and over again. And I've done the same thing in my house. I think I need to do it again. There's just, we just need to pray. I, I was talking to a buddy of mine after first service and he was talking about, he lives up on the Mason. He was just talking about one night he went out to go start his generator. It had gone off and he needed to add gas to it. And he got out there to the generator. He just felt this dark heaviness around him. He just, he just felt like this oppressive demonic force was around him. And so once he got the generator started, he just yelled out, Jesus! <laughs> he just yelled out, like in all four directions, you know, and uh, just felt like it just dissipated. And he went, went in the house and hung out with his family. But there's power in the name of Jesus. We have to remember that and realize that and walk in it, and we will get victory over darkness. We will get victory over temptation. We will get victory over uh, all kinds of things when we recognize that the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, his spirit lives within us. He has saved us that he might know us, that he might sanctify us, that he might deliver us, that he might set us free in Jesus' name. And so we're not talking about much of that stuff today, but we are, we are talking about endurance. And a lot of what um, I'm, we've been talking about is about enduring through the difficult seasons of life, enduring, pressing in and pressing on and never, ever giving up. I just learned this about, you know the monarch butterflies over here in Pismo Beach that gather in those eucalyptus trees? Their migration begins in the Colorado Rocky Mountains. And when it's starting to get cold in the wintertime, they migrate from Colorado to Pismo Beach because it's nice here. I mean, you look outside, right? <laughs> it's so nice. Even the butterflies want to be here, right? So they come here so they can survive the winter. But imagine the work and the effort. I mean, it takes about 16, 18 hours to drive the distance. Imagine these little butterflies. They're, they're, you know, they're just going with everything they got. And I don't know if it takes weeks or what, but they get here with just sure endurance because they want to live right? And they want to procreate. They've got purpose. And so we, we have to learn something from these butterflies about endurance. And when the difficulties come, man, we just determine 
I'm not quitting, man. I'm not giving up. I'm standing firm in Jesus, on Jesus. I'm gonna allow the spirit of God to fill me, to minister through me, to live through me, and we're just gonna press on in Jesus' name. Amen? So let's talk about endurance today. How do Christians, how do we as Christians endure? Persevere, that's the word actually, sorry. How do we persevere as Christians? Endurance, same word. We have the power to persevere in Jesus' name. We're, we're gonna see examples of those in the early church. They were going through exceedingly difficult times. And this is why this letter to the Hebrews was written because of the persecution of those first century Jews who had made the decision to trust Jesus as their savior, going against culture, going against their synagogue, going against their rabbis, going against the leaders of their day, being ostracized from friends and family and community things that would happen because they decided to choose Jesus. And so in Hebrews, we're learning about how they are struggling with that decision. And maybe you're here today as well, struggling with that decision. What do I do with Jesus? I, I know him, I love him, I think, I want to follow him, but I'm not sure how to do that. I, and we wrestle and vacillate in our faith. So I, I wanna give us three principles from scripture, things that we'll get right from Hebrews chapter 10 that help us to endure, to stand firm, to move forward as followers of the, G, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to persevere as believers. As kind of a foundation before we get to those points and before we really unpack it, I wanna read through Hebrews chapter 10, verses one through 18, because it can, those, that passage of scripture continues to talk about the new covenant. The new covenant versus the Old Covenant, talks about our great high priest who has made a way for us. And so we've been talking about that for a number of weeks now as we've been teaching through Hebrews. And so as just a refresher, before we move on to this new topic, I just wanna reread um, Hebrews chapter 10, verses one through 18. Just read through it, not comment on it much, but read it and then we'll get into chapter, chapter 10, verse 19 through the end of the chapter and then we'll be in chapter 11 next week. Next week, the heroes of the faith, the next couple of weeks we'll be talking about the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Um, we get to read about and kind of witness the lives of those who have gone before us, who have persevered, who have endured in Jesus' name. So it's gonna be an application, really, uh, to what we teach on today, to what I'm gonna be teaching on today. So how do we persevere as Christians? Before we get there, and it's kind of a foundation. Let's read Hebrews 10, one through 18. It says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The, sacrifice, the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, their sac those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after, after year. For it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to 
take away sins. That's why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You are not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First Christ said, we're in verse eight, first Christ said you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made perfect holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. This is the message of the new covenant. This is the message of Hebrews. This is the challenge to the church to believe in the sacrificial atoning work of Christ, that it makes us holy, that now we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that the righteousness of God has been imputed to us. We have been made righteous and holy because of the sacrifice and the offering of Jesus on the cross. So how do we persevere as Christians, as we press into this truth and as we try to figure out how to live life in a broken world, a fallen world, a a corrupt world, how do we live as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ in a world that is filled with compromise and temptation and difficulty? There are actually things that we can do that those who have gone before us have done that have allowed them to remain strong to persevere all the way until the end. So we're gonna read about those guys, those guys and gals in Hebrews chapter 11, but we're also gonna unpack and look at some of those people as we get toward the end of this message today. How do we persevere as Christians? Number one, we go boldly into the presence of God. We hear that, we, we go boldly. Some of us are very timid when we go into the presence of God. We're like, hey God, are you home? Is this all right? Is this good timing? Right? Can I talk to you now? And we go, we go kind of timidly into the presence of God when God has given us an invitation, an invitation to his presence so that we can walk in 
anytime and boldly go into the presence of the living God. It's like when my kids come by the office and my grandkids and I'm upstairs in the office, they don't have to ask anybody, they don't have to stop, they can run in, head right upstairs and meet with me. No invitation needed because it's implied. They are my kids and my grandkids, so they're welcome anytime. Uh, when we're going to our family's house, we just, we just walk right in. We just, we're, just we're, we're, we're together. We're family. It's not always the case, though. When I would go visit my dad in Colorado, I, we had kind of a different relationship, so I'd go to his door and knock, right? Is this a good time for me to come in? It's totally different with our Heavenly Father. It's totally, we got this invitation. Come on over, spend as much time as you want. In fact, I go with you, I fill you, I'm with you all of the time, so we go boldly into the presence of God. It says here in Hebrews 10, 19, and so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly, why? Because Jesus has made a way. We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. We have significant privilege. Imagine having access to a president or a king, a great leader. Because of relationship, you just got access. Other people have to make an appointment, have to ask permission, but we who are connected to the king, we can just walk right in. We have significant privilege associated with our new life in Christ. Under the old covenant, only the high priest and only once a year could they go into the most holy place. Once a year and only the high priest, they would go in to offer sacrifices and they would tie a rope or something, a cord around his ankle so that if he went in with sin, unconfessed sin, and he was judged and died in the presence of God, they could, they could pull him out. <laughs> Otherwise, he's got to stand there for the next year. Then, you know, it could get kind of stinky in there. So they pull him out. And because uh, nobody is allowed to go under the old covenant into the presence of God, except for the high priest and only once a year. Because of Christ's work on our behalf, we have access. And we should access God with confidence, not in who we are, but in the all-sufficiency of Jesus it gives us confidence that we can go right into the presence of God. Our sins, if we are in Christ, have been forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, they've been removed from us. We are completely cleansed from those things. We are the holiness of God, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have access, and we should be boldly with confidence, not in us, but because he is good, not because we are good, we have access and confidence to go into the presence of God for whatever the need is, 24-7. In fact, we're told in Scripture to pray without ceasing. How do we pray without ceasing if we don't have access, if we don't go boldly with confidence? But the reality is, is that we have that access as believers, blood-covered, spirit-filled followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have access and we can boldly go in and so we pray about everything and anything. Lord, I don't know what I should do. This morning I'm driving to church and I'm tempted to speed, right? Because it's what I like to do. And so I'm about to pull out 
from this guy in this slow lane and go around him, and I felt like the Lord said, stay right there. I'm like, all right, so I stayed right there. Within a half a mile, we're coming up this hill, and there's this CHP officer on a motorcycle with his, with his, <laughs> his gate, you know, his, uh, his whatever that thing, his speed detect, whatever it is. And I'm like, I just told Jolene, I said, I was just about to pass this guy, and I would have been nailed right there, but uh, the Lord told me, just stay still. Where's the Lord telling you to stay still? Maybe you're tempted to move, tempted to run, tempted to react, tempted to decide. And maybe the Lord's just saying, hey, wait. It's the hardest thing to do, right? Because it's by faith. Lord, I don't know why you're asking me to wait. God knows why. I don't see the future. I don't see what's coming. But God asks us, asks us to wait and just to trust and just to rest and just to relax, to believe that he is in control. So we have access 24-7 to pray without ceasing. We don't, we don't have to go into a certain place. I mean, it's wonderful for us to gather as the believers, and we'll talk about that as we get to Hebrews 10.25. It's wonderful, but we don't have to gather or go through a human, a person, to get to God. As believers of the, in the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator is Jesus, and he gives us access to the Father. And so we, through Jesus, because we've been forgiven, we go right into the presence of God. So no matter, no matter where you are, you go right into the presence of God. If you're fearful, you go right into the presence of God. You bring that fear to the Lord. If you're anxious, feeling tempted, discouraged, angry, you just take it right into the presence of the Lord. If you're happy, just take it right into the presence of the Lord. And you say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for provision, for your kindness, for your goodness. Whatever's going on, you just go right into the presence of the Lord and give him praise or offer up your petitions with faith, believing that God hears us and he responds to us and he's faithful to minister to our needs. Just pray with Diego this morning. He'd been praying about a job for weeks or months or whatever it's been and he just found out he got the job and so we got a chance to pray for him and celebrate with him. He, he starts tomorrow on Valentine's Day so it's like this gift from the Lord, this Valentine's gift to Diego. He got his job and we're celebrating with him. He's been waiting and serving faithfully just asking the Lord for this thing in his life. So whatever it is that God wants to do, just bring it to the Lord. Go boldly into the presence of God. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God. This is how we do it, with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Sincere hearts. So we get to check our hearts. Lord, am I fully trusting you? Am I sincere in my pursuit of you? Am I really gonna do what you asked me to do or am I just wanting your two cents? Am I wanting your wisdom and direction or am I just wanting your input? So a sincere heart says, God, no matter what you tell me, I'm in. The answer is yes, before I hear the instruction. A sincere heart wants to do the will of God no matter what the will of God is. And so we just surrender ourselves before we even go into his presence. We say, God, I don't know what's going on with my life right now, but I'm going into your presence sincerely wanting your wisdom, your counsel, your instruction, the next steps for my life. And we fully trust him that he is good and that he is faithful, and that he will give us the desires of his heart, of our heart, and that he will walk with us through every season of life. So let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully, fully trusting him. 
For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So the essence, the truth there is that the cleansing is thorough. We have been thoroughly cleansed by God's grace. We have been washed by his goodness, by the, by the pure water of his grace. We've been washed inside and outside by his goodness. And so because that is true, not because we're good or because we've earned it or we've had a good stretch of you know, victory, it's not, has not, it has everything to do with his sufficiency and nothing to do with our insufficiency. <laughs> do you believe that? <laughs> we gotta believe it. We have to believe it. We have to drill deep into this truth and build our foundation on this reality because it is the reality for believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So number one, how do we persevere as Christians? We go boldly. I want you to practice that this week. Boldly, not, not arrogantly, because that's God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So go in with a sincere heart, fully trusting God, I think it's gonna be a hurdle for some of us and maybe for all of us, depending on the circumstance, sincerely, fully trusting God. And I, I, I bet you're gonna be blown away and surprised by God's goodness and his response to you. So go, go boldly into the presence of God, number one. And number two, we hold tightly to our hope. We see that right here in the text. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. So when things are difficult, what do we do? We hold on, right? It's like you're hanging from a cliff to a rope that is the difference between life and death. That's the, the, the seriousness, the intensity of holding on to the hope that we have. So when things are good, we're holding on. When things, or when things are bad, when things are good, what are we doing? We're still holding on, right? Sometimes when things are going good, we're like, ah, you know, bills are paid, relationships are good, we've got a cruising through life. And so we kind of let you know, our, our, our passion, our intensity about Jesus kind of wane a little bit because after all, everything's going good. And so we begin to let loose and then it's just a matter of time where uh, things begin to uh, drift, our relationships drift, our relationship with the Lord. And then all of a sudden we realize we're not holding on at all. And then we're easy picking, temptation comes, difficulty comes, and we're swept away with all kinds of stuff. And so it's imperative that in the good times and in the bad times that we hold on equally. What are we holding on to? Hope. It's not some kind of ethereal thing that's, that's hard to grasp or hard to get our mind. The hope that we're talking about is the person and finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're holding on to him and, for, and, for, and holding on to what he has accomplished for us. So, our, our hope isn't fragile and unstable. It, it's Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the solid foundation, the rock on which we build our lives, the unshakable foundation that is ours in Christ. So it's not fragile, unstable. It, it's not change. Our hope doesn't change. No matter what circumstances, good, bad, or ugly, our hope is always in Jesus. It's not elusive or vague or imagined. 
It's the person of Jesus Christ. Our hope is in the finished work of Christ. So part of, part of holding on tightly is you know, about our own lives, thinking about our own struggles and circumstances, and so we're holding firm, but also being aware of what others are going through, thinking about others' struggles and, and their needs and their troubles and their temptations, and, and then throwing a life vest to them, a, a, a lifesaver to them, so that you might help them hold on for dear life to the hope who is Christ the Lord. This is why we gather. This is why it's imperative that we gather, and we'll talk about that some more in a moment, but we gather so that we can be built up in our most holy faith, so that we can pray together, so that we can be encouraged, but so that we might be able to encourage others, so that we might step out of our own circumstances and recognize the struggles of others that we might encourage them to hold on. Don't give up. Don't quit. Hold on in Jesus' name. And so people come all the time and they need prayer and so we're praying for people. We're encouraging people. We're speaking life and truth over people. And that is every one of our job and responsibility. Every one of us have this responsibility to do that. Ephesians 4.11 says that we are called the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Our job, we are called to equip the saints. What are the saints? Anybody's in Christ, right? If you're in Christ, you're a saint, so it's my job, our job to equip you to do the work of the ministry. So when people show up, you'll be able to pray for somebody so much more effectively than I can pray Maybe because of your experience, your life has taken you down a certain path that has prepared you, equipped you to minister effectively to somebody who is going maybe through a similar circumstance. So you can pray with greater understanding, greater empathy and compassion, greater love. You can press in and and. Just go walk the path with the person that you're, that you're praying for and encourage them over the long haul. This is part of our job. And so we show up to church and we go to home groups and we do all that kind of stuff because we love each other and we've got great coffee and on the fourth Sunday of the month we've got great donuts and we're taking communion. We're doing all this stuff. But at the end of the day, we're gathering to get equipped and released into the work of the ministry. So your job is to minister, love on one another. Somebody asked me uh, recently, they said, hey, I want to go visit this person and minister to them. Do I have your permission? I'm like, you don't need my permission. Just go for it. You know, go have fun, minister, and do what God has called and equipped you specifically to do. Verse 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. So we can encourage and pray and speak life and truth and grace and let people know, I'm with you, I'm for you, and God is with you, and God is for you. And when we need to speak hard truth and challenge sin or destructive decisions and lifestyles, we can do that with the grace and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We can say, we can speak the truth and love and challenge a person and say, hey, man, the, the choices that you're making are destroying you. 
They're filling you with anxiety and fear, and they're wrecking your ability to have faith in Jesus. And so you say, man, can I, can I walk with you and show you a better way? Can I pray with you? I, and, and nine times out of ten, maybe you've been there, and you're saying, man, I, I have been where you are, and God walked with me and sent somebody else to walk with me, to minister through, uh, to me through that season of life. So let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. How do we persevere as Christians? Number one, we go boldly. Say that with me. We go boldly into the presence of God. Then we hold tightly to our hope. And then number three, we consistently assemble. We consistently assemble. We consistently assemble. We gather together in one place for a common purpose, to be built up in our most holy faith, to worship in a corporate gathering, lifting up holy hands to the Lord, declaring his greatness, his power, his majesty, to come alongside uh, like-minded people to, to move forward as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, Hebrews 10 says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now, that the day of his return is drawing near. Every day, we're a day closer to the return of Christ. My father-in-law likes to say, every day I'm closer to death. <laughs> He's like, I'm closer today than I was yesterday, right? We are closer today than we were yesterday to the return of Christ, to the coming of his kingdom, and we have this wonderful opportunity to know Jesus now and to point people to Jesus, to be disciples and to be disciple makers, to point people to the goodness and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We will persevere if we remember and practice these things outlined in this chapter. If we fail to practice these things, our ability to persevere will greatly be hindered. The result of not persevering is actually backsliding and maybe even apostasy, the actual denial of the faith. I, I can't tell you how many people, sadly, how many people that I grew up with in this area, people that I went to Bible college with, seminary, people that I've known, people who have been teachers of the word, leaders in the church, people who have known Jesus, and I've watched them, because not practicing this perse these perseverance things, just watch them let go, little by little, get more and more distant, walk away from the church, walk away from the Lord, walk away from God's purposes, and before you know it, they've completely walked away from all that God has for them. This is, it's, it's, it's important that we persevere. The result of not persevering is backsliding, moving away from God. And I, again, I've just known too many people who have abandoned their faith. Verse 26 in Hebrews 10 says, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after, after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no 
longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. So imagine the context, historical context in the first century. These Jewish messianic believers, these Jewish people who had decided that Jesus is the Lord, that he is their savior, as they begin to question that and begin to deny that and begin to walk away from that, the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, there is no sacrifice beyond Jesus that can cleanse you from your sins. You cannot go back to the old way of living. It's it's an old covenant. It's an old way of relating to God. Jesus is the new covenant, the right way, the new way of relating to God. So you can't actually move away from Jesus and hope to have any eternal life, any relationship with God. Christ is the only all-sufficient sacrifice that can cleanse people of their sins. If we reject Christ, we reject any opportunity to be saved from God's Judgment. What is God's judgment? We don't often talk about God's judgment, but every time the Bible talks about God's judgment, we are talking about God's judgment. This is what it says as a warning to those who are vacillating, beginning to backslide, beginning to wonder, beginning to question their faith. This is what it says in verse 27. There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies, for anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled, listen to the language, trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. The language does not get any more clear. It is crystal clear communication that the writer of Hebrews is, is, is put into ink for us communicating this truth to us so that we are fully aware that if we choose to backslide, if we choose to um, minimize what God has done, essentially insulting the finished work of Christ, disdaining the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us, if we walk away, there is no salvation available. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, verse 30 says. I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God unless you are hidden in Christ. Think back. And so there's a challenge to think back on your early days when you were a follower and believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ, we can all do this, right? Remembering. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. So culturally in the day, if these Jewish men and women decided to follow Jesus, they were excommunicated from fellowship in the synagogue. They were excommunicated from their families. They were uh, criticized and ridiculed. They were they were they were sentenced to separation from the rest of the Jews. Think back on those days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten 
And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Jesus warned in his earthly life and ministry, he warned his followers of of this type of persecution. It happened to Jesus, and it would happen to his followers. Uh, Jesus spoke in Matthew 10, 16 through 18. He says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. This is the reality of what we are. We are sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell others to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. So persecution is an opportunity to be salt and light so that others might hear the reason that you're being uh, persecuted. In Acts chapter five, after the high council flogged the apostles, they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. They were so, the the people uh, were so threatened, the religious leaders were so threatened by that powerful name of Jesus, that they did everything in their power to stop the apostles from teaching in that name of Jesus. Acts 5.41 says, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for that name of Jesus. In Acts chapter 7, as Stephen addresses the council, telling them of their own history and their rebelliousness and their hard-heartedness toward God and the Spirit as he communicates this truth to the religious leaders. In Acts 7, 54 through 60, it says the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations and they shook their fists, their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hands. I mean, like the heavens must have opened up for Stephen as he's getting ready to give his life for his faith. And he sees the glory that is awaiting him. He knows that all of this is coming to fruition. It's all coming to an end. He will give his life for his faith and he will stand before the Lord very soon. And he told them, look, I I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And in Acts chapter 9, Saul would encounter the living Jesus. And in Acts chapter 9, Saul would give his life to Jesus. And I bet you God used this stoning situation, this incident in Stephen's life to begin to awaken Saul of Tarsus to the reality of the gospel. So even in our suffering, we have the privilege and the opportunity to point people to Jesus 
verse 59, as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. In Hebrews 10, 35, as we get back to our main text, it says, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones, the writer reminds his audience. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. We need to persevere and never give up. We need to not be ashamed of who we are, but bold in our faith, declare with confidence and humility the gospel of grace till the end. Saul became Paul. Saul of Tarsus became Paul the apostle. And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he wrote, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So we live by faith, we're saved by faith, and we endure and persevere as we put into practice these principles that we see throughout the Scripture. We could go throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament and find principles that will help us to persevere, but we have to be people who put into practice those principles in order to endure. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus The gospel is the good news that saves us, that redeems us, that rescues us from the judgment of God and ushers us into the family of God. If you're here today and you've never accepted the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can do that in the quietness of your own heart or you can come forward after the service and get some help praying. But this is what you do. You just simply say, God, I I need your grace. And maybe in your heart and mind, you're saying that even now. I need your grace, Lord. I need your forgiveness, Lord. I need you to come into my life. I need you to forgive my sin and fill my life with your power and your presence and your spirit. I've tried it my way for way too long. I'm tired of stumbling. I'm tired of tripping along, Lord. I'm tired of... Missing, uh, missing you and, and not understanding life. God, I, I invite you into my life and I invite your power and your grace and your love and your presence in Jesus' name. Or maybe you're here and you've been considering backsliding with everybody's eyes closed. It's just, maybe you're here and you've been considering just kind of slipping away, slipping out the back door, slipping out, just kind of slowly, just kind of drifting away. God wants to challenge you in Jesus' name to hold firm to persevere, 
to put into practice these things that we see in the scripture. He will strengthen you in the power of his might. He will fill you with his, his eternal spirit. He will give you a new heart, a new strength, a new ability to press on in Jesus. But you've got to ask him. You've got to boldly enter into the presence of God and invite him in. And then hold on for the ride and see what God will do. And then get around believers, others who are like-minded in the faith, and get around and, and, and encourage and be encouraged by the body of believers who are after the same thing that you're after. As everybody stands, Lord, I just wanna thank you for the challenge. Go ahead and stand up. Is it, Lord, thank you for the challenge from your word. It speaks clearly, pointedly, specifically to us, uh, to the challenges that we face, to the challenges that were faced from the first century on, Lord God. We invite you to continue to speak to us. We need you, Lord, as we worship now in song. I pray that we would... God, make some decisions today to stand firm, to persevere in Jesus' name. Help us to do so in the power of your might. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.
we praise you that you are the King of Kings. We come boldly before you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.